The Deepest Breath captures the gripping mix of destiny and danger at the heart of two athletes' undeniable bond. It offers a never-before-seen glimpse into one of the most dangerous sports on the planet. The Daily Beast calls the documentary heart-stopping, expansive, and intimate. Watch The Deepest Breath, now on Netflix. Do you have a brief log line of the film? It's a film about how all creation takes sacrifice. It's shot over 13 years, and it's um, the young artist Apollonia Sokol, who's a painter, and me behind the camera, and our 13 years journey to become artists. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, we're talking to Leah Glube, the director of Apollonia, Apollonia. The film had its world premiere at the 2022 International Documentary Film Festival, Amsterdam, IDFA, where it won the Best Feature Documentary Prize. It went on to win a top award at CPH Docs in Denmark and is screened at many festivals around the world. The film has recently been shortlisted for the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. Leah Gloob is a Danish filmmaker best known for her 2015 documentary Olmo and the Seagull, which she directed with Petra Costa. Apollonia Apollonia is a portrait of the painter Apollonia Sokol. As Leah describes in the pod, she first met Apollonia when she filmed her for a film school assignment and just kept filming and filming and filming, off and on for 13 years. It's a fascinating portrait and an intense personal journey for both women filled with triumph and tragedy as they seek to make it as artists and to do so on their own terms. Leah was incredibly forthcoming and personable in our conversation and welcomed the temporary escape from the holidays and the hustle and bustle of family life to discuss the complex and magnetic Apollonia in her own career as well. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram at TopDocsPod and also on Twitter, aka X, also at TopDocsPod. And now my conversation with Leah Gloob, the director of Apollonia, Apollonia. Leah Gloob, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you very much. Great to have you here and congratulations on your film, Apollonia, Apollonia. It's an amazing film and it's a 13 year journey, I think from beginning to end. At the beginning of the film, in reference to Apollonia, the young painter at the heart of your film, you say, no motif has caught my eye as she did. And then later toward the end of the film, you sort of come back to this quote, and elaborate on it with all the perspective that 13 years gives somebody. But if you could go back to the initial filming with her, what caught your eye about Apollonia and why did you want to make a film about her? Quite early on, as well as with Apollonia, I decided that I would dedicate my life and my practice to directing film, nonfiction in particular. And I have a family history with painters. I knew about both the um, heartaches of the painter. My own mother wanted to pursue a career as a painter, but then she had me quite young in her life as when she was 18, she stopped. And then 18 years later, when I was an adult and she had raised me, she pursued again painting. My grandfather 
wanted to be a painter, but did not make a professional, sustainable career for painting. My great-great-grandfather was a very, like a gifted child, but very poor. And at those times in Denmark, the people from the big castles would um, support if there was a talented kid in the area, they would support them. So he was brought to a different social class because of his talent of painting. So I think that I have been like that curious about this mythology around the painter, around the artist, and especially my curiosity towards the female painter, which was not very much displayed in society or in films or in literature or even in my own family history. So when I had the chance, I got accepted to the National Film School of Denmark, which was like a very difficult one to get into. They accepted six students every other year and they took me in. And of course, I was that nervous, like now I have to prove that I deserve a spot here. So at the first midterm film, I wanted to prove that I could make a film. And I wanted to do a film about a young female artist. I drew out a casting call, very like a bit pretentious with like a, a, a picture of uh, Anna Karenina from the Godard film. And like, are you a young actress, artist? You want to be in my film? And I got a tons of rejections. But finally, someone told me, I think there's someone you should meet. And she told me about this incredible woman who had been in Denmark, but now she lived in Paris where she grew up. And I was fascinated. Then I called Apollonia and said, are you interested maybe to be in a film? I'm doing research. And then she answered, yeah, sure. And Skype was really new back then. She was much more interesting in a Skype frame than I am. She would already, uh, there was a, a film going on, a scenario where people would come from the sides and there was some kind of drama and she would entertain me and ask me questions. And after this 10 minute conversation, I just bought a ticket and I went <laughs> to Paris from Copenhagen because she had such charisma. And I think every director knows this gift. Some people have the gift of giving your emotions to a lens and it's, it's really magic. I saw that right away. So it was really by instinct. And then time developed and a, and a film student project that was initially a short film really turned into something where I, as a director, was sitting like saying, okay, I did a short film in film school, but I don't know. I'm never going to meet anyone like this woman. <laughs> so as first chance I got to go back to Paris, I got a grant from the CPH to do a film called All One the Seagull that I did with the, together with the Petra Costa, with two great act actor and actress, great actresses, artists from Paris. And that allowed me to once again knock on the door of Apollonia and say, please, can we do like a, a real film, a long film, a proper film? <laughs> and she said, yes. Then she was just there and she had started this art academy just when I met her. For me, as I told you, with this particular family background, I felt that here was this incredible chance to investigate real time, not from some story far away in time, but in our time, in our generation, what is it to be a female artist? And I asked if she wanted to let me into that world and she did. 
I want to ask about that art academy. So that was one of the top bow art schools in all of France, in Paris. Yes. Obviously, it's an elite institution. And from what I understand from your movie, basically, if you graduate from this school, if you get a diploma, you're essentially considered a professional artist at that point. Yes. It's, I'm sure, incredibly hard to get into that school. And as we see from your film, there can be a lot of ups and downs. The school seems to pick winners and then kind of leaves everyone else to some extent to fend for themselves. I certainly thought a lot about how institutions and art schools and film schools create this structure and put these pressures on, especially young artists, that can be confining. There are certainly support networks, but there also can be strictures. And yes. what I began to think of an alternative world where Apollonia did not go to that school and tried to become an artist on her own. And I'm wondering, A, is that a possible path for painters in France or really it's not viable? And then second, do you think she ever regretted being in that institution? Oh, I feel like calling her and asking her because that's very good questions. For my eye, where I stand, I think that what Apollonia wanted to paint and she wanted her paintings to survive time. And therefore, the question for her was really to do whatever it took to make these paintings survive. As these talented young painters, she, of course, went where she could get all the knowledge that she needed. And I think for that, the institution was like vital. I know that she, she still has dialogues with a professor that really supported her and many others that maybe did not become the top picks from the beginning. And he constantly encouraged from a more personal perspective, their pursuits. He also says, after she does not get his gold medal, he says, no, no, but you know, like who, who gets this gold medals? You know, no one of the big ones have a gold medal now. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But for sure, I think that Maybe the future will be a little bit different because the system is also so old-fashioned in a way. And these elitist institutions, especially when we were filming, because I think also many things have happened within those institutions. Many shifts in power and a certain way of doing it is something that Apollonia now also actively is working to change because she is a professor now within this institution also. But I think the question is very interesting, like what would have happened if you had another path of a young woman, Apollonia, staying outside of this commercial marathon game to really get a recognition, success, and even more to be able to just paint and not have a daytime job and then paint as a hobby. So as I see it, this is also the whole fight is to free your time so that you can be as good as you can be because you can dedicate your full time to it. As in opposition to my own grandfather who became a beekeeper in the summer and then he painted during winters. So that's a different way of doing it. And I think the mistake that you can make that both Apollonia and I think the film talks to it is that 
you cannot just flirt with capitalism without it actually taking part in your soul, right? <laughs> so we're all a bit part of it in a way. And that also very much goes for the film business or the film industry. And I think that's it's very interesting to include it in the film and to make us reflect about those things. Because it's also very hidden often. You have this romantic idea of the painter at home in a studio and a cup of coffee and so on. But it's really a, a business. But I think Apollonia is now working as a professor at her art school. And she really tries to change those things where it's always so competitive, so hard. You're told you're, you're useless. You cannot do anything. You have to do it like this. But of course, everybody has their limitations. So let's see what the next generations think of us. <laughs> she also comes out of this incredibly romantic background where her parents started this avant-garde theater in Paris, and she's living there. And there are just these artists coming and going, coming into the frame, going out of the frame. But the romance of that place is also belied by what a struggle it was financially. Yes. Her parents are having a hard time making a go of that theater. They then split up. The theater is constantly threatened by the authorities to be shut down. And it struck me that this theater is both a source of strength and inspiration for her, but it's also this weight pulling her down. Yes. You spend time in that theater as well, doing a lot of shooting. Do you think that the theater, that that place was both a positive and maybe a bit of a, neg a negative for her in terms of creating the support that she needed, in terms of being an environment that maybe also made it hard to make it as a painter. I think very much so that it's both like a, a blessing and a curse for her. I also think that the film shows, and initially, as you said, this that no motive have caught my eye as she did. She has literally, she was born in a film, you can say, and she was even conceived with a camera and she lived in a theater. So the stage and the lens and all of those things are so natural for her. And some of this romantic gaze upon those things, of course, also comes from me as the filmmaker with this maybe slightly idealizing old Paris and the bohemian life. But most of Bohemian life is also just like being, actually, it's just being really poor. So Bohemian life is really cool if you can leave. <laughs> if not, it's just hard. <laughs> I think that much of what I experienced with Apollonia is that I, she had a background with intellectuals. She had an understanding of the whole intellectual landscape that was very important, that formed her parents. She had an understanding of feminism and of art because of this environment. But at the same time, it was also very hard work to keep this theater going and even also to occupy it. So she spent so much time to take care of this place and to also keep a home going for her and then her and Oksana at one point. So she worked so much. I have never really seen anyone work as hard as she did. At the same time, it is a fascinating place and people were always, oh, you live in a theater. So it gives also this kind of attention. In a way, she was also a hostage, like, uh, how can you say, like giving parties, always uh, having to invite people, make sure there's bed for everyone. And it reminds me of in, in Danish literature, you have a character called Karen Blixen, 
is a very famous Danish writer, and she would always also be a hostess, host people. So it's very much part of who Apollonia is. But of course, as a young person trying to find out her own story and shaking up off both her mother and her father's story and finding her own artistic identity as a woman, it was, as I experienced it, deeply necessary for her to get away and to leave this place. But of course, it's hard also very much for economical reasons, because in Paris, like, how can you afford a place that's big enough to paint? It's really a problem. <laughs> and Apollonia coming from no money, it's really hard. If you have to work full day to just afford a tiny, tiny studio, you cannot paint big formats. So just to make enough money to have a place where you can do those big formats in Paris, it's even a struggle. And at the same time, at this point, they occupied the place, so they didn't pay any rent. And this ambition was something that I was so fascinated to be allowed to see and continue to see with the camera. A woman that did everything to pursue her, her art. And I think that was very fascinating. Because me, you know, I'm from cozy Denmark. It's like, oh yeah, no, no, but we will have a place to live and yeah, we'll pay our rent and we will do all of these stuff. But to see someone from a different starting point than myself, I also come from no money, but like no money in Scandinavia, <laughs> which is still a very different social and geographical starting point. That really fascinated me. And especially to see a woman fierce like this, like Apollonia, was something I hadn't seen portrayed in a way. A theme of the film is expulsion. Apollonia's ancestors on her mother's side are expelled from Belarus. They're forced to go to Siberia, then Poland. Apollonia and her mom are at some point basically expelled from the theater because her parents get divorced and the dad is the one that is on the lease, not the mom. So they have to leave, at least temporarily, Apollonia leaves. And Oksana, who is one of the important people in your movie, comes to stay at the theater at one point and becomes very close to Apollonia. She's been expelled from her home country of Ukraine. Time and time again, we hear these stories of expulsion and exile. Can you talk a bit about that theme and how yes. it appeared and reappeared as you were making the yeah. film? I think that in the beginning of the film also, Apollonia is examining her own roots from her mother's side and examining, as you say, this story of exile, expulsion, and the whole Eastern European history. It was very, very recurrent. So if at this point I came into a place, I actually, in the beginning, I didn't understand French. <laughs> and I think that my work and Apollonia's work is similar in some aspects. And one of those aspects is that I use my body very much as like a seismograph. I, I think I do have a very developed sense of both empathy and of registering like things that are going on around me. And I think this is what mainly makes me a good photographer is this ability to listen and to feel what is going on. Some of the things that were very essential in this neighborhood, both because of history and because of time where it's placed in this part of Paris, is that it's always people on the move. It's always people from exile. It's called La Voix Moderne, 
it was an old washing place that was transformed into this theater. So it was the washing place of a poor neighborhood with all of those stories and a big public building. So who comes there? People come who have no home. And this has not changed so much over these years. Now the neighborhoods and the gentrification is happening in the cities, but still it was so evident that this was really the story of this place. And it was also the story that lived within Apollonia and within her family story. I was meeting people who had fled, people who shared stories with young Oksana Shachko and her co-founders of this group. I was so deeply moved with the destinies that I met there because such young women who stood for their ideas and ideals of democracy and freedom, and they, in the age of 19, had done actions that made them be considered terrorists to even their parents. In this attempt to use freedom of expression and really fight for democracy and for freedom, these young women freedom fighters, they lost so much. They lost a place to return to. They lost maybe the support of close family and they lost their rights as citizens. So they came to a country in, in complete exile. And in the beginning, before the war in 14 in Ukraine, they did not have the right to be considered political asylum seekers. So they were like illegals. It, it just moved me very deeply this story of these people that I met there in this house. And Apollonia is a, she's a woman that has many sides to her personality and many different character traits. And like all artists, she's fighting to get ahead herself. But always there was this consciousness about the exiled people and how people of exile need to help each other or you need to help people in these situations very big political and social consciousness of how this is a great obligation to those who have something. So Apollonia would always share, if she had a big house, she would share it for people who were on the run. And that was, to me, it was just very moving. I felt like the, I experienced the whole world in this little tiny place on earth. And of course, it also goes to this family ties of Apollonia, because one of the pictures that she found I think it was Belarus at the time, or maybe it was Ukraine. I don't really remember because the borders has moved. But there she found a picture with one of her ancestors holding the Torah. Apollonia was not brought up in a Jewish faith, but of course there are some ties to the Jewish exile, you can say, and this story of exile. So in order to find out how to portray this person, Apollonia, it just seemed that exile was a theme you could not. Yeah. And we also see that in some of the work that she paints and that you show in the film. She also, in this quest to become an artist, she goes to New York. She goes to Los Angeles. So she's kind of, you know, in self-exile in these places in pursuit of her dream, she needs to because of the economic pressures of being an artist. She needs support. She needs to sell paintings. She needs representation. Whatever it is she needs, she's going to need to be noticed as a painter and sell her work. The sequence in Los Angeles is, is kind of its own movie. <laughs> it's In some ways, it, it confirms a lot of 
sort of negative stereotypes, I would say, about Los Angeles, which is she goes there knowing that she's going to have some support, at least, from the art collector Stefan Simkowitz. Again, kind of his own movie in his own right. But basically, he supports her to some extent. She's able to get a studio and live for a short period of time and do a lot of work. She also has to crank out the work as her part of that bargain. There's a climactic scene where that whole L.A. sequence culminates in, which is they go to this outdoor art fair. Simkowitz is taking pictures, and she sees this giant art sculpture, which is a giant green plastic butt plug in short. And she's like, oh, I want to, you know, take my picture here. I'm going to get naked, take my picture naked in front of this giant green butt plug. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. We don't want to get arrested. And he kind of disappears off camera. But then she appeals to you to shoot her naked in front of this sculpture and you oblige. What was your perspective on this whole scene? Because you're there, it's an observational scene, but then this event happens and you're sort of drawn into it in a different way. Yes. Apollonia's not really, first of all, she's an image person. And I think in this scene, she's really also considering that this will be debut for her. And you don't really get it from the film, but this is an article. The shots that he's doing is an article for Italian Vogue uh, that will be published. I think that she is no longer happy this situation that she brought herself in, this kind of deal where she was. And I think that at this time, I am her confidant in a way. We had a shift in our relationship at this point in the film where actually we thought that the ending of the film should be in Los Angeles because we had been filming for a long time and like, what, how should it be? Okay, she didn't, like maybe superficially, she didn't get the medal. So how would we structure it? And also I had to get some funding for the film if I should make it like into a real professional film. So at this point I had also promised to deliver a film to the investors. I had to promise that this was the last thing that was being shot and that they would have their film. And then when we were there in, in Los Angeles, it was just a, a, not a good moment for Apollonia at all. And at this moment, I, I couldn't finish the film. I had to continue the film until things were better for Apollonia. And I think maybe this scene was also like, I have seen the old Apollonia. So I was just kind of an observer from the past. And my camera could encourage some things. So I think that she called for that camera, maybe also looking that she also reflected herself in a camera. So she reflected herself into, in Stefan's camera and she also reflected herself in my camera. And at this point, I think she chose my camera. So it's also this self-representation of who is she and what was the choice. Just following that scene, you say, I believe what I witnessed here was that Apollonia, instead of selling her soul, used her body as defense and set herself free. And then later, there's a really surprising moment for me that kind of juxtaposes with that quote in which at this point, you're again thinking, am I done filming? Is this movie over? Or, But you keep going. And in this scene, which is 
a scene of Apollonia taking a bath. You talk to her, quite frankly, you talk to each other about what this process has been like. The surprising part is she goes on to talk about her body and really her alienation, her sense of alienation from her own body that she has really struggled to paint as a woman and mm. that she feels like she needs to figure out how to do that. I found the scene so surprising because for this whole time, she seems so natural on camera and so natural in her own skin and being filmed without clothes on in any situation. And yet, mm. and so to hear about her own discomfort with her body was really disarming. Did that surprise you to hear that? No, well, not as much because I'm a woman myself in a world where at that point, I think a lot has happened after the hashtag Me Too movement, but we were in Los Angeles before that happened, one year before, I think, or two years before. I, I think some of the things I learned through doing this film is that this thing that if there is not really any representation of your gender or who you are in the world around you, it's it was kind of a deep search in a way also. And we don't have the language. I think there's more language now developed in these recent years with the social revolution also of gender and these things. But we were searching so much, I felt, for a language in this generation of how to be women, but not in the way that we could see around us. Because it's also the institutions and everywhere there was, how can you say, a, a kind of patriarchal kind of system. And, and this is now completely, take the Barbie film, it's mainstream knowledge now in so few years. But to us, it was a different generation and that it really, um, I think, swept into our bodies very, very much. So I, I don't think I was as surprised because I had seen it. But of course, the audience has also only seen what is in the film. And it's a very big part of creating is the body and this instrument that the body is. And also, what is it to be a woman? Like, how do you live? How do you love? How do you put yourself? Because it's impossible to identify with this binary world shell type of being a woman in the societal role of being a woman. It's not how we felt, <laughs> I think. And of course, I think it, it would be very interesting if you also, because uh, Apollonia, she's very outspoken also about her beliefs and she also paints on this. So I would really recommend to hear some of her things and watch her things. But to me, I understand it. And I also understand it because Apollonia had also been very sick when she was a child, having suffered from this disease. It does something to your body also, of course. And one of the things that also ties us a bit together, these women that we are in the film, is also our stories and struggles with the bodies that get these, they're always a bit in the way. And, and I love so much how she says this line in the film that I don't want to have a body because it's so much trouble. But again, you need a body to paint. I think there are many things that Apollonia says that are these great lines. So I'm happy in a way that you find it surprising because we tried to build the film also in this way. And I had great troubles doing the film because whenever 
kind of good looking young female into the frame. Our audience minds has also been shaped with so many stereotypes and just how cinema is such a, how can you say, I don't want it to sound stupid, but it's also a simple medium, you know? So where are we? Are we going into the door? Where are we now? Who's that guy? It's not like in literature, you are so much more free, I find, to do complex things. But in the <laughs> in cinema, it's always this. Yeah. And I think, as you said earlier, she is so charismatic on camera yeah. and does seem so at ease in front of the camera to hear what's going yeah. on in her mind, what her thoughts are. And then also, of course, that where you've shot this scene, which is in a bathtub and she's taking a bath. So it all kind of is very resonant and complex and multi-layered. And it's really an extraordinary moment in the film. The film also shifts when you become more a part of the frame. Your story takes center stage. You are pregnant. You have a very difficult childbirth to the extent that you almost die, which yeah. is, you know, a shocking moment in the film and totally unexpected, not just in the film, but for you yeah, going nice. through it. And it was almost miraculous that you pulled through. Yeah. Um, from the point of view of the director of the film, who's now mm. kind of the subject of the film, what was that process of shifting the lens like for you? Everything in my life changed. And I think, of course, it changed because both I became a mother and I got a family also with stepchildren. So I had a responsibility, but also because now I, I survived something. And in the beginning, when I survived, I didn't know like how much of a life I would have after that. In the beginning, I couldn't walk. I had to learn to brush my teeth and my husband was not knowing if my cognitive abilities would be at all there. Who would I be? There had been so many damages and black clots, so you wouldn't know. So I had to kind of discover this whole new person, a new body and feel also this kind of huge, um, I don't know. It was like of course, obviously a nightmare, but also it was like really going to zero in your identity. I, I never thought I was going to make anything again in, in my mind. I couldn't make film anymore. That part of me was like dead and buried. But then again, when I see now from the footage, I'm actually filming. But in my mind, that was just gone. But the camera actually was something I just... I tried to take it and I, I looked at the world through the camera still. And today I feel like also the camera was really also saving me in many ways. And it did. For instance, when I had to learn to walk, I lost my balance. And after some months, I, I was up again walking. But then when I took the camera through my eye, I guess some neurons connected in a different way because I had been used to walking so much with the camera that, okay. So it helped me. It was like a tool to get back to life. And I thought it was so beautiful. <laughs> How could I not include that in the film about a female artist becoming of age, trying to figure out, so what is this thing, art? And also what is images, right? It's also trying to capture 
and keep something away from death or keep the deceased here among us. I don't know. So there's a spiritual meaning to that also. And also just very basically by not making it only a film about one artist, but maybe three, four and a half artists, it's a film about all female artists, much more universal. So that was the reason for it. And of course, it was something that was also discovered a bit in the editing room that it's impossible to tell anything to keep that story out. It would not be truthful. <laughs> well, I can it. tell you that sense of a bigger story definitely came through. It's on my question sheet as my last question to ask you, but you answered it, <laughs> which is just whether this Apollonia's story, your own story, connect with this bigger story about how women can claim their own power, take control over their own images and bodies, and whether that sense of this bigger story kind of evolved or came in a revelation. And it sounds like it evolved and was a revelation. Yes, yes. For me, definitely, personally like that. And Apollonia's work now, if you take in her paintings, for instance, a big theme for me now, me as a filmmaker, is actually the body and also disability. I found something very fascinating and I would love to, to work more on that. But also in the work of Apollonia, her paintings and the development that has been after we shut off the camera is really also something that talks so much about those things you just mentioned. So... Here's a spoiler alert for people who have not seen the film, but there is a tragedy that happens toward the end of the film related to Oksana. She dies. She takes her own life. There's a scene where Apollonia calls you to tell her this news. And obviously it's very emotional, very heartbreaking. It also seems to unleash all these powers in Apollonia as an artist. She depicts Oksana in some of her paintings. There's a very, very powerful painting, a huge canvas in which Oksana is depicted. Did you talk about how the legacy of Oksana and her life played out in her work? Yes. I mean, Oksana Shachko was a, a very great artist. And I feel so lucky that I got to spend time with her. Spending time with Oksana, we both got this chance to also be affected of her work and her courageous way of being. For me, it was really sad, of course, but also I was still very sick. You don't really get this sense, I don't know, from the film, but I was basically almost only able to be inside of my home for a very long time. So when I received the news that Oksana had died, I hadn't seen her for a very long time. I had been very isolated. And I saw just, I think, two months after that, the Me Too movement happened. Or it was like Oksana was 18, so maybe six months after or something. This whole feminist revolution was happening in the world. And it was just so sad that Oksana didn't see that. She was really someone that really did something that mattered in that sense. I only got to experience how deep her work was also after I suffered this illness and sickness. 
because a lot of what her work was, was to defend women that got neglected in very different aspects of society, of the patriarchal society, including, and this was one of her first actions actually, was in front of a maternity house where uh, women would die after giving birth in very high numbers in Ukraine, in the pro-Russian government at that time, because there would be a lot of nepotism. So the doctors would not be trained to be like real great doctors. They was just hired because it was low in status to work with the pregnant women and pregnancy. And as a result of this, people would really die. So I felt after, because even in Scandinavia, where you think, okay, so this is like these allegedly very happy people of the world and everything works, even there. It doesn't work. And these stereotypes of how we encounter each other, how we think and are taught that pregnant women are, I don't know, hysterical or whatever, it really causes a risk. And it did in my case, even in Scandinavia. But at that moment, I knew I shared the destiny of these almost, or I almost, I was so close to dying to share this mass numbers of pregnant women who die because of this. And there I really felt and connected with Oksana's work in a, in a very deep, deep way. But for Apollonia also, she really took this part of the activism from Oksana into her art and into her work and really using both her own body as a tool, as a weapon for change and also really using her painting in this way to essentially fight for the people now that are living here, the people who needs it. So Oksana's uh, art was really, had a huge impact on both Apollonia's work and my work also. But in Apollonia's, you could see it. There's an exhibition in Copenhagen now, actually in Aachen, where Apollonia has done a big sequence of paintings and there's a very special room for Oksana at this museum. So if you are ever in Copenhagen, or if you want this uh, exhibition to travel, uh, <laughs> ask for it because it's very beautiful. I want to commend you on this 13-year journey because you not only share a remarkable portrait of a young artist who is coming into her own, but you really make a film about life itself. And in so doing, we as the audience feel deeply connected to the people that you are making this film with and about. Thank you so much. It really, really means a lot. Do you have a hidden gem, a documentary that you think doesn't quite get the attention it deserves? For sure, I saw a film that really moved me and really touched my heart so deeply at the last edition of ITFA. I saw the film World is Family by Arnold Padwani. I hope I pronounce his name. And I was so moved while watching this film where he had gathered what was at first like his home videos, but then during this shelf cleaning in the pandemic years, he looked into his own private footage and he made this, crafted this beautiful film about his own family's story, but the story of India and Pakistan and how the division of this country into those two parts and this whole political effects that created, but through the lens of his close family. So some of his family were close with the Mahatma Gandhi. I was so moved, especially there was one scene where he was 
showing a film in school and he was hosting a debate among young children. We had been divided into all of a sudden, either you are a Muslim or you are Hindu. And talking about this division with these young kids, it just moved me. I really felt that I saw like a cinema for peace that really spoke to how we can use cinema to unify people and to understand each other and build understanding. So it really blew me away. World is family. Top Docs is a production of Woolly Media. This episode was produced by Ken Jacobson and Mike Merrill and edited by Mike.